Um, So this morning, we are in the book of James. So James is a New Testament book. Um, So if you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, uh, James actually right toward the end of the New Testament. So you can go like seven-eighths of the way through your Bible, and you're going to kind of land in the book of James. Um, And one of the things I love about the book of James is how um, refreshing it is in the New Testament. I think James is often best viewed as a wisdom book, um, similar to the book of Proverbs. And one of the things that we do in our culture is we don't really talk about wisdom a ton. Um, Again, we talked about this last week as we kind of looked around at what Scripture had to say about wisdom. Um, But we just don't value wisdom. I actually looked this week because I was curious as to who, uh, who we as a culture would describe as wise. And so I went, and go- I went and looked for wisdom and wise and a couple variations on that in the news and just see, like, hey, who are we talking about? Who is it? And uh, we don't talk about anybody. <laughs> there were two different news stories that came up. One was a guy uh, who was promoting his book about his neighbor who passed away at 109 years old and just was a really interesting person. Um, and the other one was an article about a pastor that I love named Tim Keller who passed away um, just a few weeks ago and talked about that his wisdom uh, would be missed. Um, and those are the only two articles I could find uh, that talk about wisdom. Now, there's lots of articles that talk about wise, but it's always somebody's last name because we tend to live in a culture in which wisdom isn't necessarily something that we value. Uh, We value productivity. We value impact. We value success. um, We value opinions. We value ideas. We value innovation. We value disruption. But wisdom isn't necessarily something that we talk about. Um, And again, even when you talk to somebody about um, what kind of job they're looking for, who they want to work for, or what kind of employees they're looking to hire, it is so rare for somebody to talk about it in terms of wisdom. And yet in Scripture, as we look through it over and over again, there's this motif of wisdom is what we're called to do. And I think sometimes one of the the, um, images that I grew up with is that if you're a Christian, if you're somebody who follows Jesus, that you're kind of a goody two-shoes, that you're kind of somebody who doesn't really, it's a little naive, a little, uh, doesn't really understand how the world works, seems a little simple, just a little basic. Um, In fact, Scripture over and over again talks about followers of Jesus as people who are called to be wise, people who are called to understand the times, to understand the world as it is and how to operate within it. Um, And so that's really what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, My favorite way to talk about it is actually from Tim Keller. He said this, he said, Wisdom can be defined as the competency, as competency with regards to the complex realities of life. The wisdom is that, that competency to handle the complex realities of life. Because again, life is not always easy. Um, life isn't always um, clear. It's not always uh, obvious what answers you should give. Um, we said, you know, the, that not everything is black and white. And we used an example, example from Proverbs that Proverbs tells us that, hey, do not argue with a fool or else you'll become a fool yourself. And we said, that's right. You know, you don't interact with people who are foolish. But the very next verse in Proverbs says, but... Don't let a fool go unchallenged or else they'll think that they're smart. They'll think they know what's going on. And so which is it? Do we argue with a fool or do we not argue with a fool? And the answer is it's wisdom that tells us what we can do with that. And the problem with this all is that wisdom is really easy to look around the world and understand how the world works, how the world operates, until other people get involved. I think it's a lot harder. I think it's a lot harder. 
Um, I've, I've heard somebody say that parenting is really easy, except for the kids' part. Um, it's the kids' part that makes parenting really challenging. Um, or even, I love going to work. I love my job. It's just my coworkers. It's just my customers. That's the problem. That's what makes the job so difficult. And I think we've all felt that before, that it's the people that make jobs hard. Um, that if it was just me in a room by myself with a little bit of an idea and a spreadsheet, um, it would be a lot easier. One of my favorite jobs that I ever had was working at a cabinet shop. I worked there for a little over a year, um, kind of actually uh, got laid off in the great downturn of 2008. I got swept up in that. And it's probably for a good thing because I probably would have never left um, because I would walk in, I had this big pile of lumber, we'd turn it into cabinets, and then I'd leave. Nobody called me, nobody yelled at me, nobody complained. I just, just worked with wood all day. It was super fun, it was super interesting, it was always a little different, and there weren't that many people. And so it was awesome, I loved it. Because when you have people, it makes things more challenging. It makes things more difficult. Um, and sometimes you don't even realize how much you are reacting negatively to people until it's reflected back at you. Uh, my son, uh, when he was a little guy, he was probably about two, maybe three years old, was sitting in his cozy coop, that little red car with the yellow top, and he was sitting in his cozy coop, and his sister Zoe was crawling across the ground in front of him, and I saw him there sitting in there, and he reaches up, and he bangs the steering wheel twice. He goes, bomb, bomb, with the side of his palm, and he throws both hands up in the air, and he screams, why are they doing this to me? And I thought, I, I think I've seen that before. I think I've seen somebody do that before in the car. Because when I'm in the car, I, I have the same thing that you have, which is anybody that drives slower than me is an idiot. And anybody that drives faster than me is a maniac. Those are the only two other people on the road. There's me, and then there's idiots and maniacs. That's it. That's all that's out there. Because when it comes to other people, we never quite understand what they're doing. But the truth is um, that when we pause and listen we can begin to learn where other people come from because we don't always see the world through other people's eyes. Um, in some ways, we can't see the world through other people's eyes. Um, one of the ideas that we're, I was reminded of this week as we were getting ready for this um, was the, the, the dress from 2015. I know it's been eight years ago since that happened. But you guys remember the dress? Was it blue and black? Was it yellow and gold? You know, we we're all looking at the internet and we cannot understand why other people see it as a different color. Does anybody remember that experience? Does anybody remember looking at that? And anybody have it different people in their house? It was, how many of you were black people? The, the dress was black and blue. How many of you were that, folks? And how many of you were yellow and gold? Anybody? Yellow and gold? So, I had the unfortunate experience of uh, it just kept changing. So when I looked at it, it was sometimes yellow and gold, and when I looked at it, it was sometimes blue and black. And I don't know why. I'm assuming it has something to do with my colorblindness as to why it would flip back and forth. But it was the most disconcerting thing because it would totally switch. It would just look right one time and totally, right the, uh, and totally the other way the other time. And I could never figure out what was going on with it. And the truth is, no matter what we do, we don't really know how the other person sees the world. My kids constantly ask me, what, does it look, what color is this? What does this look like to you? I don't know. I've only ever been colorblind. I don't know what it looks like to not, uh, to not be colorblind. I don't know what colors look like except for how I see them because I only know what I see. And the truth is, everybody doesn't, only knows their own perspective. They only know the world from where they sit. That even if you've gone three, you know, two, three, four days without eating. The longest I've ever fasted was for three days consecutively. 
I still don't know what it's like to really be hungry. Because it was a choice. Something I decided to do. And I knew at any point I could stop. I don't know what it's like to be uncertain. Like, no matter how many times I try, I don't know what it's like coming from a different perspective. I don't know how somebody else sees things or feels things. And we all are trying to make decisions based on our own understanding of the world. And so how do we reconcile that? Like, how do we then operate in wisdom if that's the case? If everybody, if everybody is doing what makes sense to them, if everybody is saying what makes sense to them, if everybody believes what makes sense to them, how on earth do we operate in that environment? And James has some really specific advice here. So if you've got your Bibles, James chapter 1, starting in verse 19, he says this. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Uh, Because human anger does not produce righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is uh, so, so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So James tells us that this is for everyone. That there is no pass here. There is no, well, I'm not a very good listener. You know, I'm just not, it's not something I'm blessed with. It's not something I'm gifted with. Some people are just naturally great listeners. Other people are not. Uh, Some of you are like, I would be a good listener if they would just get to the point. Um, Then it would be much easier. If they were a better talker, I'd be a better listener. Um, And yet James says all of us have to do this. There is no exception. Uh, There is no space for us to decide otherwise. And so he says, all of us have to do this, and it's this slow to speak. So James isn't saying that this is, hey, be silent. Don't use your voice. Don't speak up. Keep your mouth shut and your head down and just go along to get along. That is not what James is saying here. That is not the kind of wisdom that James is presenting here. It is this slow to speak. And what he's saying is, listen well. Proverbs 18, uh, chapter 2, or Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2 says this, uh, fools uh, find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. That there's this, this desire to listen to your own ideas, to listen to your own thoughts. And sometimes we have great thoughts. We hear things, we think of things, we come across things, and we are so stunned at this new revelation that we have, this new idea that we have. I remember coming and talking to my mom one time. I was like, Mom, you know, I've kind of, I kind of think I've come up with a philosophy of life. I think I'm going to come up with a way that, like, I think I could write a book about this, Mom. That uh, I, think, I think one of the things we need to do as Christians is we're not just supposed to react to the world around us and react to things that happen to us, but instead to be proactive, to kind of be out in front of things. And I think this is really pivotal. And she was like, I, said, I mean, I think that's true. I think you're right. And I was like, man, this is good. I could, I could write a book about this. I'm, I'm going to make some money. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be great. I got in the car and was driving home. This guy on the radio said that we're called to be proactive and not reactive. And come to find out he has an entire radio program on Christian radio about how he just stole my idea in advance before I thought of it. Um, And uh, I was real upset about it because I thought I had this great idea, this new thing. But turns out it was an old thing that had been around for a long time. Because the truth is, 
we often think that our ideas are best. And we don't always pause to listen. The way the author of Proverbs says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding. And that's really what we're called to do here, is to pause, to listen, uh, to take care. Uh, Proverbs 19, or 18 verse 13 says this. It says, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. One of the things you see over and over again with Jesus as you read through the Gospels is you see somebody who hears the question behind the question. You, hear, you see somebody who understands the context in which those questions are being asked, who understands the reality. And I have a tendency, oh, you asked a question? Here's an answer. There you go. I've sorted, handled. Um, because I think that when sometimes when people are asking me questions, sometimes when my wife is asking me a question, she wants a very specific answer instead of maybe, just maybe, she's trying to draw my attention to something. Like if she says, hey, you sure about that shirt? I'm like, yeah, I think this is a great shirt. This is, here's why I'm wearing this shirt. It's a great shirt, great shirt. Then I leave and I'm like, wait a second. She's saying I shouldn't wear this shirt? Is that what she's trying to ask me? Because I don't always hear the question behind the question. I don't always hear the idea because I'm so quick to come with an answer and not to pause and to listen. So this act of listening is a huge part of Scripture. One of my favorite examples of this is when this woman comes to Jesus and she breaks this bottle of perfume at his feet. Um, And all of the religious leaders sitting around are looking and saying, man, if he just knew the kind of person she is, he would know not to be involved in this. He just doesn't know. And he can feel that in the room. He knows the thoughts that are going on. And he responds with a level of grace and insight and wisdom into how to handle this. And he responds to her graciously. And he actually challenges those who are having those, those difficult thoughts. Because again, being quiet being slow to speak, is not, let me just say this again, it is not being timid. It is not being a coward. But it is instead a pausing and a listening and a seeking to understand. And honestly, I think it is one of the hardest skills to develop because it's so easy that we live in a culture in which we want to fix and we want to sort and we don't necessarily want to listen. But he goes on and says that when we're slow to listen, uh, or slow to speak, and slow to anger, that one of our default responses to people we don't understand is to be angry, is to be frustrated, is to throw our hands up, to be done with it. Because we get so irritated with people that are coming out of different contexts, when people that are coming out of different spaces, or people who have a different set of beliefs than them. One of my, uh, one of my favorite examples of this uh, that I hear over and over again, because um, especially you know, working in financial services um, and working with folks that are kind of adjacent to that, is I always hear people say things like, oh man, if you can't manage $1,000 a month, you'll never manage $10,000 a month, and you won't manage $100,000 a month. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Because $1,000 a month, it ain't enough. It is not enough to make it work. You can't pay for an apartment, insurance, food, utilities. It's not enough. 
And somebody who says, if you can't manage $1,000 a month, you can't manage $10,000 a month, does not know what it's like to be poor. Does not know what it's like to wrestle with that, to deal with the complications of that, uh, to not, not, not have access. And it blows my mind how quickly we are to dismiss somebody else's uh, situation, to dismiss somebody else's place, um, because we think we know, we think we have an answer. It happens over and over again in our culture, in which anybody that's over here, anybody that we don't agree with, they are wrong. Instead of pausing and listening and asking, why do you think they feel that way? I'm not saying that I agree, I'm not saying that they're right, but why do they feel that way? Why are they worried about that? Why is that a concern? Why is this something that bothers them? What is it that has happened in their life that may make this a bigger reality than it is for me? Because when we ask those questions, all of a sudden we begin to understand more. We begin to listen more. I'm reminded of the parent whose kid comes and asks the, the difficult question, where do babies come from? And so the parent is like, okay, okay here we are. We're going to answer this question. And so they begin to unpack and kind of walk through, and they're, they're careful and they're gracious, and they're trying to, to pause and to listen well. And so they're unpacking the ins and outs of the birds and bees and unpacking how this works. And the kid looks at him and goes, oh, man, okay. Well, Tony said he was from Cleveland, and I just, I just want to know where I was from. Because we, didn't, we don't pause and listen and ask good questions. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 24 says this, Stop listening, to instruction. Uh, stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray away from words of knowledge. Then we, when we begin to stop listening, when we begin to stop hearing, we begin to veer into the wrong spaces. I think one of the other reasons we listen is not just because it's wise, not just because we're called to, but it's also one of the things that we see universally about God. Uh, Psalm chapter uh, 116, verse 1 says, uh, I love the Lord, for, the, uh, for he heard my voice, he heard my cry for mercy. That when we pause and listen, we are reflecting God's character. Uh, that we are paused and reflecting God's character. And so one of the challenges I would give you this week is as you're looking around, as you see people out there, whether they're idiots or maniacs on the road, um, whether they're somebody at your work, somebody with a totally different set of political beliefs than you, somebody with a totally different view of the world than you, to pause and ask the question, why do they believe that? If they really are a good person, a reasonable person, why on earth would they approach life that way? I think if you pause and ask those questions, you'll begin to get different answers. One of the more complicated uh, stories that I, I think is important to share here uh, my brother served in Zimbabwe for a number of years um, as in development work and as a missionary. Um, just loves the country of Zimbabwe, loved getting to be a part of that culture. And one of the challenges in Zimbabwe is it is one of the most fertile parts of the world. Uh, that their area that they would call the low Veldt, is their uh, Midwest. It is super abundant, um, but it's pretty dry. Um, it's pretty arid climate, but it's also extremely fertile soil. And so it was a huge production for sugarcane. It was a, these massive farms that existed in Zimbabwe. And one of the things that happened in Zimbabwe 
is after the war um, of in, for independence, um, the country looked around and said, hey, we've got all these giant farms that have been around for a long time. What we, what we should do is we should break these farms up and give them to veterans. We should give some of the guys who fought in the war a chance to begin to build their own business, to begin to carve out a place for them here in this space. And so they broke up some of these giant farms. And I mean, just massive. Tens, you know, 10 and 20,000 acre farms. And they began to break them up. And they gave these guys tractors. And so the guys would go and begin to farm the land. But what happened is after about two or three years, the guy would break the tractor apart and sell it for parts. He would just sell the tractor completely to somebody else. Um, he would stop working the ground. Because what would happen is he recognized that he, this was given to him by the government, and it's going to be taken away by the government at some point. When he's no longer the favored person, this is going to disappear. And we would look at that and look at folks here in the Midwest. I mean, how many of you know a farmer who's got a tractor in a barn that that thing is from the 1950s, 1940s, 1930s, that, boy, they're, you give them a chance, they're going to spin that thing up. It's useless. It is so small that they could never use it for actual work, but it is still ready to go if and when they need it because they understand that that's an asset for them that is going to potentially earn income and they're going to take care of it as such. But the same way that they understand their reality is the same way that the farmer in Zimbabwe understood his reality. That this is a temporary thing. This is something that's been given to me for a short time and I'm going to make hay while I can and I'm going to make sure and take care of my family as best I can. And if we had had that same context, that same environment, that same experience, we would have maybe the very same decision because we would understand the complexities and the realities of the culture around us. And that is what Scripture is calling us to do, to pause and to listen, to understand what other people are saying, to pause and reflect on their own motivations. Again, this is one of those areas that's really tough um, because we live in a culture in which people don't necessarily want to hear. And so how can you tell if you're doing this well? How can you tell if you're doing this well? So one is you're getting connections with people that you may not necessarily agree with, um, that not everybody in your world is exactly like you, that your beliefs are different, um, that your experience is different, um, that, some, that the world you grew up in is different. Um, because one of the challenges we have in our culture is that we tend to surround ourselves with people who are exactly like us. In particular, we tend to surround ourselves with people who are exactly like us economically. Um, so if you grew up in an upper-middle-class family, you tend to surround yourself with upper-middle-class people. That tends to be the group that you run in. If you grew up in poverty, you tend to surround yourself with folks in poverty. Those tend to be the community and relationships you're in. And so one of the ways you know that you're doing this is when people are from different socioeconomic backgrounds than you. I think one of the other places you see this really clearly is when you're talking with somebody and they say something like this. I've never told anybody this before. And then they proceed to share with you. And they begin to tell you a story. And they begin to unpack kind of something that's happened to them, something they've experienced, something that they've uh, heard, they felt, and something that they didn't think people around them would want to hear or know about them. And sometimes it's really negative. Sometimes it's something that's been tough in their life. Sometimes it's the way somebody treated them. Sometimes it's really positive, and it's really hopeful, and it's really exciting. And they're like, you know, I've never shared this with anybody because I just didn't feel like I could. But, and then they proceed to unpack this truth. But it's in those moments that you begin to learn about somebody and begin to learn who they are. And I want to take a turn and kind of look at your own home for a second. 
when it comes to the people in our lives that we're the closest to, they are the, often the people that are the hardest to hear. Because we think we know. We think we know. And one of the challenges I think that's true is uh, my wife and I have been married 17 years. We just had our anniversary a couple months ago. 16 years? 17 years? How long has it been? About that many. You know, 2006. However long ago that was. Too long. Um, the person that my wife married is not the same person that I am now. I'm just not the same person. Uh, the things that I think are funny are different. The jokes that I think are, are, that are different. Um, I used to constantly be, uh, kind of have parties at my house. We just constantly had people over all the time. And we just don't anymore. We've got kids. We're busy. We just don't do that. It's not a part of who we are. Um, I was somebody who got up early and went to bed late. I was somebody who would constantly go to shows and live music. It was a big part of my life at the time. And it just is not anymore. Um, it just become much less important. Um, and so if she only loved me because of who I was and what I was about and didn't pause and listen and grow with me, our marriage would be really tough. I mean, same with our kids. They grow and they change. The things that they value begin to change. The things that they are are important to them uh, begin to change. And sometimes when it comes to our families, we, we want to be heard so badly. We want to be heard so badly that we are willing to try to do anything we can to be right. And so we lay out our argument, our way of action, our plan, our procedure, our protocol. We just want to make it very clear. Here's why I did what I did. Here's why it's your fault that I did what I did. And here's why what I, I did what I did uh, was the right thing to do. And next time I'll do it again. Um, and what happens in those kind of scenarios is you end up with this very difficult place because sometimes you very well do win the argument. But what do you win? What do you get if you win an argument with somebody you love? You don't get anything. You get a strained relationship. You get a difficult conversation down the road. That's all you get. Um, because it's not about being right. It's about making sure that you're right together. And I think that's part of what James is saying here. When it comes to other people, being right is less important than being in a right relationship with somebody. And again, this is where wisdom comes in. Because there is a time and a place where you need to stand up for truth. And there is a time and a place where somebody needs to know, like, hey, hey, that thing that you want to do, it's not the best choice for you, I don't think. But, but the challenge is understanding the ins and outs of that relationship. To pause and listen to the questions that are being asked. To pause and listen to the things that are not being necessarily expressed. Proverbs says it this way, um, the purposes, this is Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but the one who has insight draws them out. The things that are in somebody's heart are sometimes deeper and quieter than we realize, and it takes wisdom and listening to draw those out, to pause and ask those harder questions to listen and not necessarily try to sort things out. And so how do we do this well? What's like a really simple way to distill all this down? I think it's what Jesus says in John chapter 13. He says this, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. By this, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. At the end of the day, that's what listening is. It is loving somebody else. 
It is hearing them talk. My kids go to Riverside Leadership Magnet School. Um, we love the school. It's been a great experience for us. Uh, so if you're looking for a school for your kids, could not recommend it enough. It's been an amazing experience for our kids. Um, one of the things they talk about there is they go through, um, they, they go through the seven habits uh, from Stephen Covey's book. They're adapted for kids. But one of the conversations they have over and over again is seek first to understand before being understood. I think it's just a fundamental principle of wisdom that if you can understand where somebody's coming from, if you can understand where they're at, um, it doesn't mean you have to agree with it. It doesn't mean you endorse it. It doesn't mean you're saying it's okay. It doesn't mean that it's not wrong. But just to understand before you try to explain yourself, before you try to justify yourself, if we can pause and listen, it would change everything. Andy Stanley um, asked this question. It's one that I wrote down years ago, and I've had it in a little folder called Great Questions uh, that I've had on my computer for years. He says this, um, what if we don't settle for being right, but instead for making things right? What if we don't settle for being right, but instead making things right? Ultimately, that's what I want to see us do, is to begin to make room for other people, people we disagree with, people we don't understand, all the idiots and maniacs that make up the world around us, that we would pause and listen well. And again, this takes wisdom and courage, and it takes boldness. If you're somebody who's timid and you're quiet, and therefore you think you're a good listener, I want to tell you that just being quiet is not being a good listener. Instead, it is pausing and asking those questions. It is seeking to understand. That is what matters most. And those of us who, who always have something to say, um, there is no topic in the world in which I don't have an opinion about it. Could not, could, not be, could not be truer about me. It doesn't matter what it is. Elon Musk, I'll tell you what I think. I got ideas. I got thoughts he could do better. Um, t-shirts, I have strong opinions about what are good and bad t-shirts. I have, I have thoughts. It doesn't matter what it is in the world. Um, onions, I have strong, strong opinions, strong ideas. If you don't like them, you're wrong. I just want you to know that now could not be more wrong about the world uh, if you don't like onions. And yet, listening is what draws in you into a relationship with people. My opinion on onions has never forged a bond with another person. But me pausing and listening has. It's given me an opportunity to share the gospel with people. It's given me an opportunity to make a connection with people. It's given me opportunity to apologize with people that I didn't even know that I needed. So I want to challenge you, what if, instead of trying to be right, we would seek to make things right with those around us? Let me pray for us as we turn to uh, sing our last song here. Father God, I thank you so much that wisdom is such a fundamental part of what you called us to. Again, some of us grew up with that caricature the Christians were naive, foolish, quiet, polite, kind people. And while there's some truth in that, would we remember that instead you've called us to be bold, to be wise, to be loving, and to extend justice and righteousness. God, I thank you so much that we don't have to get it right ourselves that because of Jesus, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we can turn to you for forgiveness. God, in my own life, I pray that you would give me opportunities to listen well, 
to ask good questions and to make connections. God, I pray for all of us in this room, whether we're in this room or we're listening online, I pray that you would help us to be the kind of people who don't just seek to be right, but instead seek to make things right. That we would make room for other people in our lives. That we would make room for other people in our conversations. God, for those of us that have leaned on the idea that I'm just not good at listening, I'm just a little blunt, and we've used it as an excuse for being hard-hearted and even cruel to people, that you would call us on the carpet today, that you would challenge us to listen well, to understand, to be slow to speak, and to be slow to anger, so that we would reflect you. God, would you help us to be the kind of people you've called us to be? And it's in the name of our King, Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.